0: Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, So what I'm saying is grab onto that fear. Realize that it's there and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. To the show my name is Stuart Alsop uh, my guest here is Gigi Azmi. Uh, she's a transformational relationship coach uh, who started out working with some of the biggest consulting agencies in the world for example Accenture uh, and then she opened her own tech consultancy uh, and then has transitioned more into relationship coaching uh, which is a huge source of, of uh, uh, stress for a lot of people their relationships are probably the biggest source of stress one of the biggest sources of stress in their lives Um, So can you talk more about that? Like this, this connection between stress in a, in a relationship setting?
1: Mm. Yeah, sure. Stuart, I'd love to talk about stress in relationships. So yeah, people come to me because they're experiencing a lot of stress in their relationships. And um, what we're finding right now is that the stress in the relationship has mostly to do with what happened in that person's childhood. And so I'll hear a lot of, um, Oh, chemistry is everything. You just need to find the right person with the right chemistry, or you need to find a person with the right values that are similar to yours, or you need to find the, the person who has similar interests. And What I'm finding right now is that that's all said and good, but that's all said and good for seriously healthy people. And most of us, I would say 90% of us, have experienced a lot of trauma throughout our life. And we don't understand trauma correctly. So you'll hear people saying, it just blows my mind. So for example, I'll talk to someone and be like, you know, what happened in your childhood? And they'll say nothing. My childhood was great. And then I'll find out that their dad died when they were five. And it's like, there's no way that your dad dies at five, that -hmm. you don't have a story somewhere where love Mm -hmm. isn't safe, right? Mm -hmm. Or someone who has a parent who's been severely depressed or someone who has a parent that's a workaholic or someone who has a parent that was in an abusive relationship, right? Or, um, you know, that just has a parent that maybe... Uh, you know, just didn't know how to connect with them the way that they needed it. Most of our parents didn't know how to connect with us in a meaningful way, the way that we truly needed it. And we bring all of that stress that we experienced as children into our relationships.
0: And um, so that brings up two things to me. The um, the first is this kind of image because you just said that ninety percent of people have pretty intense trauma uh, and they don't really recognize it. <laughs> um, and then we all have this image of a healthy person. But I have never, in my experience, witnessed ever meeting a healthy person um, who's got it all figured out. Like I, they probably exist, but I don't. I don't. I haven't come into contact with many of them.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, not many
0: of my clients are. Uh, and 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 then the other thing that you um, mentioned is one of the hardest things that I've found in terms of. Working in this in this in this self care field is that most people, in order if they recognize that they needed self care, uh, then um, it, most people don't recognize it, and that creates a huge barrier to doing any sorts of sales because they're like, "Oh, that's really great that what you do," but um, yeah, no, I don't have any problems. But then obviously everybody has problems. Uh, yeah. So um, does that? What What do you think about that? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Th- those those are all good things. So. But the last one, though, you said something like everyone has problems. What what did you mean? Like, they're.
0: Mm. So, just that uh, a lot of people uh, have um, issues in their life and issues that happen in their past, uh, and that they are uh, disassociated from those issues because that's one of the ways that the, the trauma works is we get disassociated from the trauma. Uh, and so, then that's one of the biggest challenges that I've found is that uh, selling healing services is that, uh, people don't, uh, in order that they disassociate from that thing that they need healing from. And that's one of the biggest thing, but being disassociated means that they don't realize that they need, that they, they could use help in order to pass through the trauma.
1: Yes. Excellent. I got it now. I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing down a little bit, so I don't forget everything you're asking me. So one of the first things you're asking me is you've never met this person of health. Yeah, you're right. There is no person of like, it's just like a hundred, there's a hundred percent healthy person, mm-hmm. but the way that I could describe it to you is this, Stuart, is there are three babies in a room. Okay. And there are three mothers of those babies in a room. Mm-hmm. One mother, as that baby was growing up, at, and, and I'm t- not even growing up yet, it, say this, this child is around six months old. And this is a study. This is a real study that's been done. And so these three babies are in a room with their three mothers. And the mother who, when her child had anything at all going on, she was so attentive. And I'm doing this like like just right here, just like pick up. As if, if the baby smiles, she smiles. If the baby cries, she goes, oh, what's going like, you know, she furrows and, and mm-hmm. she's mirroring, constantly mirroring what's going on inside of that child.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When that mother walks out of the room and leaves the child, the child looks visibly distressed This child starts to cry. And then the child eventually stops crying and is able to play on their own. When the mother comes back, the child looks visibly excited, runs to the mother, latches on and doesn't let go, and then, and then is able to eventually let go and he plays around the vicinity of the mother.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A bait now, there's two other babies in the room and you know already through the story, Things aren't as great for them, right? Mm -hmm. So the first baby is a baby that's called a securely attached baby. Mm -hmm. And when that baby grows up into an adult, they're able to form secure attachments with people Mm -hmm. because love was consistent. It was Mm -hmm. just constant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when they form relationships with people, there's two things. One they're able to truly give in a meaningful way. And they're truly able to receive in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And two, they get out of crappy relationships immediately. Mm -hmm. Because love and nurturing and warmth has been so consistent for them that when it's not there, it's so clear. Something's wrong here. This is not right.
0: Uh, And they have that sense of kind of uh, they never have that intuition blocked in their lower belly that tells them when something is wrong, basically.
1: So that's exactly what I teach my clients is Mm. if you didn't have that type of consistency, your compass is broken. Mm. Mm. And so when you walk into a room of 10 healthy people and 10 unhealthy people, you're going to be attracted to the unhealthy people. Mm-hmm. Because you've been wired to think that love is not consistent, and when love isn't consistent, that's what love feels like. Mm-hmm. And so, this is all subconscious. We're not consciously, you know, it's like super smart people. I, I'm, oh, well, now that I know, I won't do that. It's like that doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. Unless you have the experiences that are painful enough that they they that they, uh, you the go healing. back and touch that fire. Yeah. And
1: yeah. the healing. I've had extremely painful relationships, and I've done it all over again. Mm. Because the healing, taking that layer out wasn't there. Mm. So second baby. Second baby, mother was there. She was consistent, but not every single time. So she was consistent 10 times out of the day. And that one time, she wasn't. She got pissed off. She had just had too much she burnt out and she got like stop crying stop Mm -hmm. it you know Mm -hmm. and or you know the baby came up to her and tried to get some attention she was like stop i'm cooking right now you know i can't right now or she had a partner who would scream if the baby would cry you know and get visibly upset which unfortunately a lot of male partners secretly do mm. so this baby is being born now i remember this is six months in they're already exhibiting this behavior when the mother leaves this baby in the room the baby makes believe that they don't notice mm. and when the mother comes back the baby latches on for a few seconds and then completely rejects the mother mm. Now, I remember that with my own mother, where she would say, Why don't you come and cuddle with me? And I'd be like, Absolutely not. Like, I don't want any of that with you. Mm. And that was my, my anger with her not knowing that I'm I'm trying to verbalize something that I can't yet verbalize. The anger was, you're not consistently here. And then when you want me to be here with you in a loving way, you just want me to turn it on. And I can't. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. So that creates an anxious attachment and an anxious attachment. That baby, when that baby grows up into an adult, the way that that baby is going to be in a relationship is this. Tell me if you recognize this either within yourself or within people you've dated, Mm -hmm. they are super loving and super giving, but not in a way that's healthy. They stay too long in a relationship. They have no business in being in, they give too much because I understand that person went through a lot. Mm. I understand they need me. I have a lot to give. Mm. If only they were loved correctly, then, then you know, this wouldn't be happening. And I'm going to stay in the relationship to help out. Mm. There's a sense of when the partner doesn't text back immediately that they must be cheating on me. Mm. If they didn't invite me to something that they're going to, they must not want to be with me. So that creates an anxiety, anxious attachment is just like this relationship where this person is so loving, but at the same time, so anxious all the time. Mm. Because again, the parent was there, but they weren't, so they couldn't count on it. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of like, I love you, but I don't know if I could count on you keeps showing up. Mm. Does that does that ring any any bells?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I've definitely seen it in, in other people. It hasn't shown up in my relationship, but I'm I'm imagining I'm the other one. But uh, uh which I, I uh, which go ahead and <laughs> uh, explain the, the um, the third? yeah, the third one. yeah.
1: Okay, the third, oof, the third breaks my heart. Mm. So the third baby um you know when we said the anxious might have had a workaholic or or an alcoholic or or someone who was there but not really there the the avoidant it's even worse it's like Mm. truly there was a drug problem truly that parent wasn't there truly the workaholic was just like you just couldn't connect you know Mm. or just severe mental illness or complete you know just cultural differences you know and just not being able to meet at all or a divorce classic right complete disappearance feeling of abandonment and rejection so the avoidant baby here's the heartbreaking thing it breaks my heart the baby is in the room the mother is in the room the mother leaves the room the baby has no reaction none like nothing happened the mother comes back no reaction like she never came back. Here's the crazy thing Stu. They put an electrode right? It measures the heart rate on the secure baby, the anxious baby and the avoidant baby. Mm-hmm. The baby with the most violent heartbeat was the avoidant baby. Mm-hmm. Stu. Let me just let me just remind you of what I just said. This is a 6 month old child Mm. not a six-year-old a six-month-old child that has been able to make believe that they don't care that the caregiver came or left and then their heartbeat was the most crazy beating scared fight or flight out of all the other babies Mm. and yet they were able to make believe that they didn't care
0: it's i mean it's it's like it taps into our evolution it's really deep stuff that it, yeah um,
1: yeah it's <laughs> and, it's, so,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah. so
1: then the avoidant you know the dance is the anxious one the one who's like are you really there are you really there inevitably constantly gets attracted mm. to the avoidant one and the avoidant can't ever make it can't make it with the secure attacher because the secure attacher will be calling them out on their crap right away. And the avoidant can't handle that. The avoidant's like, peace, you see through me, I'm out. So the avoidant and the anxious are in this hamster wheel together, constantly chasing each other. So the anxious is like, oh, do you love me? The avoidant is like, absolutely, I love you. And then the avoidant just disappears because they're afraid. And then what that makes the anxious do is like chase them more until the anxious gets sick of the sick of this dynamic and realizes this is not going to end so that's that's the stress and then you know the person out of all of those that will disassociate the most from what's really happening is obviously going to be the avoidant because the pain that they experienced was the hardest their motivation to change ends up being the lowest because Intimacy is safe for the secure attacher. Intimacy is safe for the anxious attacher if they're reassured that the love is constantly going to be there. Mm-hmm. Intimacy is not safe for the avoidant attacher. So, to get the avoidant one to actually show up to therapy and to show up to do the work, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to say, I'm perfectly fine. I am a workaholic because, you know, I need to get the next round of funding. I, you know, I, yeah, I don't have the time to be with you emotionally. Why can't you just take care of yourself?
0: So do they have any data on what percentages, I think I actually read it in the body keep score, but, but, uh, is there any percentage in, in terms of what there are. percentages of the population are in these different, yeah, yeah
1: but I don't believe them that mm. the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the percentage that's been given is that 50% are secure, 25% are avoidant, and 25% are anxious.
2: Okay. But I, yeah. it
1: feels to me like twenty five percent are secure, and mm-hmm. there's like a, you know, a
0: that mixture a 40, of forty.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and so, what does a secure relationship look like? Uh, it's a relationship between two secure people, or a secure uh, attachment.
1: Yeah, I would say what the secure attachers can do better than the avoidant and the anxious is that. They can give you the the complete space to take your space mm. without becoming freaked out mm-hmm. and they can fully allow you to be who you are without that becoming um, something that is troubling them, that is like making them insecure. Mm.
2: interesting
1: um, the secure attacher will be able to understand how much to give without overgiving. So the avoidant one will be like what do you mean you need to give me i need to give you this much figure it out on your own like why do you need so much because they were never given anything they needed.
2: Mm.
1: We can't give what we never got. And then the anxious will overgive in the hopes of then you know that i love you right then you love me because i've given you so much. Um, And so the secure attacher has a healthy understanding of how much to give, who to give to, and when. Which is distorted in the other ones.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And so let's switch from stress to creativity and maybe talk about examples in your life or examples of of maybe your clients um, of of in what ways a healthy, stable relationship, uh, can kind of help people both manage stress and then be more creative.
1: Okay. Manage stress and be more creative. These are great questions.
2: Thanks
1: Thanks for being a great interviewer. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is really cool. Wow. Okay. So now, Say, we've, we, say most of us have this attachment stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. And say that we have a partner that understands this dynamic. They understand their own attachment. They understand yours. So I'll give you an example. My partner and I, uh, when we met, uh, I had the book Attached by Levine. And, and I said, you know, he saw it and I said to him, hey, I'm reading this book. You know, do you know what your attachment style is? And he's like, I don't know what that is. I was like, okay, let me explain it to you. And explain to him the three attachment styles. Bless his heart. He was okay with being absolutely vulnerable with me. And he was like, I'm anxious. Oh my God, that's me. I'm, I'm the anxious attacher. And I said, me too. I'm an anxious attacher too. And so then the conversation became, what do you need? When I heard him say that, I then I saw, see like, I was brought up in the time where books like Men Love Bitches came out. <laughs> and books like that would be like, you know, don't answer right away. Don't be too available, right? Don't be, don't be so available so that the man thinks that, you know, he can just have anything that he wants whenever he wants. Now, there is merit to that in a sense, for example, for a woman who's completely out of balance and like constantly chasing the guy, she needs a little bit of that. Right. Mm -hmm. But for him, that was actually the opposite of what he needed because he was an anxious attacher. When when he would text me and I would wait five hours or 24 hours, all that told him was that I wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. When I went to an event and I didn't make a point to somehow tell him like if he was included or not and why, I noticed that he would get agitated. And my response, because again, I was brought up in the men love bitches era. Mm -hmm. And there's something I think, I don't remember if you remember it it was called like the code or something like that, that women were following. So what that did was amp up his anxiety instead of bring it down. And when he told me, bless his heart, when he was honest enough to say, it's anxious attachment, that's exactly what I've got. And he, what that made me realize was that all of these old ways that I was employing to create connection or whatever, or, or whatever it was, court, the courting thing, was that I was courting him in a way that actually made him not be able to be creative and not be able to manage his own stress, and therefore he would never be the man that I always wanted because I was putting unnecessary stress, psychological stress on him that wasn't fair to begin with. He he was showing me that he was the type of man that will be fully here all of the time, and instead of taking that and amplifying that, what I would do is amplify the stress without knowing it Because I was trained like all of the other women in my generation, don't call back too fast. Don't be too available. Mm. This is what I saw happened. Once I saw that I shifted my behavior to, he would text me. I shit you not text him right back. Mm. He would message me. I would message him right back. If there was an event, I would make sure that he was included somehow. And what I saw, Stuart was a man who was nervous and anxious and unsure of himself blossom into a superhero and i am not exaggerating he, he, he it's just like he already stood up straight but there was something about him that just stood stood up straight mm-hmm. there was something about him that was just like like the king inside of him came out mm-hmm. and I recognize that, you know, those codes, those rules, they're good for certain things and they're good for women to be able to play with, but they're not necessarily what we always need. Mm -hmm. And so managing stress and being creative. When I gave him what he needed, he ended up building a 20 foot um, sculpture at Burning Man. First, he had to raise $37,000 in three weeks. Then he had to build the sculpture in seven weeks. He had to build an entire team. He had to put that team together from scratch. He had to learn to weld without knowing how. So he did all of this stuff in about a month and a half because he knew that my love was behind him. He knew that I was going to be there, that there was no, remember the mother? Mm -hmm. She was right there. Mm. And so that doesn't mean that when he's not acting shitty that I don't call him on his shit. He knew that just as much as I was going to be right here with the love and the connection that I was going to be right here with the, hey, no, 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 not okay. Mm. And so that manages stress and creativity so well because there's a clean container, you know, there's no bullshit in this container. There is no, I'm just going to love you unconditionally, no matter how shitty you're being. No. He knew that he could be a real man within this container. He could really stand up for the deepest parts of himself and the most creative parts of himself. And the first, there was a day where he had to go out to shoot a video for the Kickstarter and his car was stolen. Right in front of my house in Oakland, California, and he came back in and he was like, maybe this is a sign I shouldn't build this thing. And I said to him, the man that you are with every single situation that happens is what matters. It doesn't matter if that sculpture is ever built or ever put up in real life. What matters is the man that you're being with every piece of stress that's coming in. Are you being creative or are you being reactive with the stress that's happening? Mm -hmm. And so he got up and he went and he did that video and he finished the Kickstarter. He built the sculpture and now it's a tale to tell. Mm
0: -hmm. Cool. You know What was the sculpture?
1: The sculpture was called Ascension. And the 20 foot metal sculpture that has vines that weave with each other. And then they go up into this huge heart. And so you climb the vines. There's these like spokes Hmm. climb the vines and you sit inside of this metal heart. There's two benches inside and inside of the heart, there's these poetry and quotes about how people are learning now no longer to fall in love, but to rise in love. And so you're climbing the structure and you're sitting in the heart as a representation of that integration within us. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's the the same thing. His love and his commitment, everyone remarks on okay so i was like doing really well but damn when his love came in and his support came in and it was day in and day out and it wasn't going anywhere and he was doing everything in his power to demonstrate that to me i went from you know teaching a little bit to becoming one of the conscious thought leaders in my city so and everyone will remark on it like wow i can see the power of love the power of healthy love mm. not codependent love not you know but healthy love mm.
0: you brought up one thing uh, a little bit uh, back which is that there are these rules that women have and that men have and that all of us kind of individually develop for ourselves um you know when this kind of person comes into my life i'm going to do do x and when this this situation happens i do y uh lately in my own healing process i've realized that uh i can't depend on any rules i can't have have any rules because there's always these edge cases and life keeps on showing showing me these edge cases as opposed to the to the to the one that the rule applies to do you think that it's possible to live a life without these overarching frameworks
1: That's a great question, Stuart. And it leads me into my only true answer around creativity and stress and working in in different work environments is true creativity comes out of nowhere. Where is nowhere? Can we find nowhere? Most of us will say no because we don't know the truth. But the truth is, for anyone who's studied a little bit of meditation or done any mindfulness practice at all, there is a space that I don't know how to describe, but it is a space of nowhere. It is a space of nothing, of no thing. And you tap into that space. And when you tap into that space, you are able to do something called an inquiry. And an inquiry is something as simple as, what would be in service right now? And because you've meditated before, you've done a mindfulness practice before, you are hopefully, and if you're not, something I can teach very easily is listening for the answer. And when you listen for for the answer, that answer is coming out of where? Out of nowhere. This magical, mystical Nowhere, but it always happens to be the best creative answer that we can ever get.
0: Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when I when I go through, go through that process, I have a, it's never, a, it's very rarely an intellectual answer that says you need to go do this. It's like a feeling in my belly or a feeling in my heart.
1: It will always be the opposite answer of what your mind thought was the right answer. And that is what blew my mind and blows the mind of my students is, when they check in, they go, I could have never come up with that on my own. And actually that's freaking brilliant, but will it work? And Mm -hmm. it's like, try it out. And they come back and they're like, I would have never, ever thought of that. And so it does take someone with courage to let go of the normal way we've been taught to mentally do things in a linear fashion, be able to drop down into a part of themselves that's that is quieter and ask for an answer and trust the answer, which is hard, that comes not from here. But it's just experimentation. So I tell people, try with the small things. Ring, ring. Hey, Gigi, do you want to go to that event? Without that person knowing on the phone, I'm like, what would truly be in service right now? And the answer is don't go to the event and I don't go to the event. And then ring, ring, someone knocks on my door that never told me they were coming over. And it mm-hmm. ends up being the most incredible creative meeting that I could have had that night. Mm-hmm. Or ring, ring, do you want to go? I don't want to go, but everything inside me says, you better go. Mm-hmm. And I go and I meet the perfect person to further whatever, or I'm able to give them a piece of the puzzle that mm-hmm. you know, furthers them. Mm-hmm. So. Right now, I know this is very advanced what I'm saying, but this is also the leading edge of where we're all going. Mm. We're going into the leading edge of being able to tap into the place where the the way Thomas Hubel puts it years ago, he says, I'm logging into the cosmic internet. Mm. That sounds super woo woo. And I get it, but what if it's true? What if there's a space where all artists, all musicians, all all theorists, all philosophers, all athletes, the zone, go to where things just stream in. The athlete knows the right corner of the field to run to. They know the right person to dodge. They get the ball. They make the run. How did you do it? I don't know, says the athlete. I just tapped into the zone.
0: And that's right? yeah. And what's been interesting about what I've been studying in uh, uh, neuro um, neuroanatomy is that they cannot locate the center of consciousness in the brain. And and it's a network uh, that that happens all over the brain at a certain time. And it's like our because our brain is creating this current moment, and each one is changing. So this one just moved into a new moment, and we're moving into a new moment now and our entire past is then also overlaid on that moment as well so each time this kind of rebirthing process that's you know what, what, when you read eastern thought you hear a lot of rebirth talk about and they're not talking about rebirth of the body or the soul or anything like that they're talking about rebirth of you right now in this moment leading and then this moment and then this moment um so we can't really we can't really locate consciousness or even a single thought, A thought happens in a, in a network. And then what, what? how do you measure the fact that you bringing up this attachment style has now changed my own neurons? So it's like, not only is there no way to locate consciousness in my brain, but how do I differentiate between the ideas that you just gave me and the ideas that, where you just got those and where did those come from? They came from this place, this, 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 uh, uh, this nothingness, emptiness or fullness. Um,
1: Mm-hmm. Boy, I, love,
0: I love talking about this stuff. This is, this yeah. is like the... <laughs>
1: yeah, I could nerd out all day on this. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm glad we were able to find common ground because at first yeah. I was like, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. So can I depend on the rules? If I want the worst uh, outcome possible, I will depend on the rules. Mm. If I want the most creative outcome possible, if I want the outcome that's going to be the best for everyone involved, if I want the outcome that is truly going to be fulfilling for me and for everyone else, then I will learn how to pause to slow down before I speed up to go into the space that is beyond the mind and to drop the question, what is truly in service right now? Hmm. And before I'm able to truly do that, I need to practice with the small things. So I'm at a restaurant, there's the menu. Oh, I want to go right for the thing, but it's like, okay, can I slow down? What what is truly in service for my body right now? And it picks this incredible thing and you're like, duh, right? You go to the grocery store, what would be in service for my body right now? Doop, 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 doop. So if you're going to wait, and I want everyone to hear this part, if you're going to wait for the big thing, that big moment at work where you need to be the most creative, that big moment with your relationship where you you don't need to be reactive, it's not gonna work because you waited too long. You waited until the trigger was at a 10 and your nervous system can't calm itself down. So you've gotta be able to work with your nervous system with the small things so that when 10 comes, you've practiced long enough, right? So I really want them to hear that. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, so I've got a, a somewhat random question, but uh, um, are, do you only work with uh, individual clients or do you work with couples?
1: I work, I, I work also in corporate environments. So I work okay. with teams. I work with groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with couples. I work with singles. I work with straight people, with gay people. Oh. Yeah, the whole thing.
0: And Men, then... And- Um, In in terms of singles that you've that you've uh, come across, how has online dating, particularly the Tinder and these types of things changed the level of stress for both men and women um, uh, that you've seen in your practice?
1: Mm -hmm. I think when people get to my practice, they've had enough, Mm. you know, they've they when when the men come to me, like, I think we already know what the women feel, right? The men have a little bit more fun on these things because they're like, Woo, yeah, all, the, all the ice cream flavors. Right. So, but when the men are coming to me, they're coming to me, not saying I'm on Tinder. How do I get the most dates? They're coming to me saying, I'm tired. I'm tired. I deleted all my dating apps. I want something real. I'm tired of having a few women knowing that deep down, the reason that I have a few women is because I'm scared to commit to any one of them. And I'm also scared that they will reject me. So it's easier to reject them first by having a few things going on. Um, Or it, it could be any one of the, like, you know, any of those stories where he's coming in and he's just saying, I want something that's real and I'm terrified And I don't even know if I'm the man who can give that to a woman, Mm. you know? Mm. Um, And for the women, it's, it's a little more kind of like, you know, normal, like, you know, I don't meet anyone or I meet someone and they just want to have sex with me or I meet someone and I don't have any, you know, anything of of interest to really like build the relationship on. Mm. But the ones that are truly heartbreaking, I would say are the men because they're like, man, I thought this was gonna be great, but now I just feel empty and alone and I'm tired and, I, and, and I'm 40 years old and I'm doing it and I don't know how to do it any other way. And mm. that really sucks because now we're gonna have to rewire all of those mechanisms, you know?
0: Mm.
1: So, yeah.
0: Um, and so what do you think this, re- this connection, the main theme of the show, what, what do you think is this relationship between stress and creativity? maybe in your own life how, how have you experienced uh, uh, stress and how has that played into your role to be uh, in being creative maybe with what you're working on right now or previous things you've worked on you said you worked for in fortune 500 companies how did stress affect creativity in, in those organizations just anything that you kind of comes to mind
1: yeah the 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 projects that i was on with the fortune 500 companies were it projects very stressful doing a project in three months that should be nine months and that was just chronically happening and so you know the creativity came once in a while when we hit a roadblock of being able to solve a certain piece of code or a certain type of design and you know there was kind of like an inbuilt person for that that would kind of come in like a superhero and be like yeah you know this but other than that the teams were completely stressed and what you see is extreme turnover in these even though the pay rate is absolutely incredible people can't they can't stay too long you know and so they end up finding other companies where you know they're not going at 500 miles an hour Mm -hmm. um for me my relationship with stress and creativity is is recognizing how 99% of the stress that I feel is completely my own making. And I recognize that recently where I told my partner, I need to take a break because of stress with work. And he said, "Abs, go ahead, take the break. But I wasn't doing any much differently, right? I wasn't doing anything much. I was still serving my clients. I was still showing up and doing my, my things, but because I mentally knew that it was okay to take a break and not go so fast. The stress levels went down on their own. Take going on a vacation, right? Nothing's really changed, but it's my mental feeling of like, Oh, I don't have to do anything right now. Brings down that feeling of stress. So For me, it's a little easier. Stuart, I don't want to say that that is the case when you're in an office and there's someone breathing down your neck, right? Mm -hmm. I would say that's much, much harder. Mm -hmm. But still, at the same time, what part of that are we creating Mm
2: -hmm. on Mm
1: -hmm. our own? Mm -hmm. And we don't really realize how much we're creating it until we're out of the situation most of the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that for, for me, truly, truly, truly stress has become an alarm system in my body. When I feel stressed, that's the signal that my body is giving me that I'm thinking a thought that isn't true. I'm stressing myself out. So when I feel stressed, I've been practicing very diligently to what is the thought that I'm thinking? Is it even really true? And then taking breaths that bring me back down into a peace like a space of calmness and i recognize. you know i ring ring someone is calling i could feel the like i could feel the stress coming up already right like i wasn't expecting the call i can't talk right now i know i should be i know i should answer the call you know Mm -hmm. so oh look at that look at that immediate feeling of contraction. The thought, what's the thought? The thought is, I don't wanna answer this right now. Okay, Gigi, is it true that you don't wanna answer this right now? Ultimately, it's not true because you know, you feel you should be answering it right now. So we know we should answer this. Okay, so we know that's not true. 100% of your thoughts aren't true as Byron Katie has taught us, right? So it's not true, can I breathe? now the person who answers the phone is going to be a lot different than the person who would have answered the phone a few seconds ago, believing her stress. Mm. And so that's what I'm talking about. The subtlety. Every time I look at my email, there is a feeling of, Oh, I got to answer this. And I don't know if I have all the information right now. And I don't even have the time. Why did I just do that? What was that immediate response of stress? Monday rolls around. Open your eyes. Contraction. Why? All you did was open your eyes to a start of a new day like any other day. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just been the work that most people don't want to do, which is being with what is arising inside of myself and knowing that those, everything that comes up inside of me is not necessarily me. Just like things come, thoughts come out of nowhere, feelings come out of nowhere. I am not that thought, but I have the power to observe the thought and ask myself, do I want to give this any more energy or not?
0: Yeah. And this is something that I've been wondering about my own um, life recently, as I do more and more healing, most of the things that I'm so afraid of—I've had, I've been having panic attacks over the past couple of months. Uh, they ended a couple weeks ago, but um, but these panic attacks, like, just come on uh, out of nowhere, and it's they're related around fears that I have they are pre-verbal that happened to me when I was younger, and it's like, uh, but all this all this fear that I have, whenever that thing that actually I'm afraid of ever comes to to be, it, it's never the way it is usually it's it's joyous and it's like like oh i can actually get let go of that now and like don't i don't need it need it to be running in my head anymore so why are people so afraid why why do we have this kind of ingrained tendency to be so afraid of what's happening right now and what's coming up in the moment
1: we scare the crap out of ourselves and then we believe it and so the, the questions, right? Byron's questions are, is it even true what you're thinking? And her second question, because and, and re- remember, it's only a yes or no, right? You could only answer in a yes or no. Is it true? So let's, let's make something up, Stuart, for you. It's like, if I don't get this uh, project and I'll be fired, right? So is it true? Your answer might be yes. Can you absolutely know that it's true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? Mm. No. Then why are you creating this story that's going to cause the stress, that is going to cause so much stress that you don't give in, give in your project that you do get fired? Mm. That you end up getting what you were afraid of in the first place. And if every story truly is never, truly, ever completely true, Hmm. then everything you're telling yourself that is stressful is absolutely valueless. It has no value. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, this is something I've been working with with my teacher is essentially the, the, we, a lot of people play on the plane of competition. Uh, and then uh, and that's the way that the kind of society's run for the last couple hundred years. Is, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with competition. I love games, I love competition. But then when you're only playing in that level, you see somebody else winning as you losing. Uh, but the, that's not true. Uh, the true thing is, is that in the plane of creation where my creation and, um, you know, Helps you to create, and somebody else to create, and you know people making music, which then inspires other people to make music, or making art, which inspires other people to mark. Those aren't uh, zero-sum games, and the more we go into this future where technology kind of allows us to spread these ideas very quickly, it's going to become a lot on more on this plane of creation, and and essentially like how do we how do we tap in? And that seems to me the the more true kind of life wants to be abundant for you as long as you work on those negative limiting beliefs that all of us have. Yeah.
1: Yes. So like I was saying, what I do and what the teachers do and what the masters do is what most people aren't willing to do, which is, I'm, I'm listening to what's going on in here. Hmm. And I'm not saying that what's going on in here is who I am. It's just what's going on in here. If I'm able to observe it, then I am not it. Hmm. Okay. So if I can slow down enough with this thing in here and be the parent, instead of letting this be the parent, I reparent myself. Mm. So when the thought comes, if someone is winning, then I'm losing. Is that true, sweetheart? Mm. Can I absolutely know that it's true? No. How do I react when I think the thought, if that person is winning, then I must be losing? Well, I feel like hurting them. I feel like self, you know, sabotaging them. I feel like I'm a loser. I feel like I'm not worthy. Who would I be without that thought? I would actually have enough energy that I'm putting out there on this person. I would have the energy to start winning, whatever that means for me. I'd be taking back everything that I'm draining literally by the gallon every second by focusing on someone else, Mm -hmm. by bringing that life force back to myself. And here's what I know when someone is winning, I am grateful because that is the universe showing me that winning is possible. And if winning is possible over there, then winning is possible over here. Mm -hmm. If an incredible conscious relationship, is possible over there, then it would be a disservice to me, my soul, my spirit, and my future for me to be jealous of this person, because that's going to stop the abundance from coming here. When I see this beauty and this success over here, can I bless it? Can I say, amazing, I'm so happy from you. I don't even have to say this to the person, but from the bottom of my heart, can I project this blessing of, I am so thankful you received this because through you receiving this, I know that I can receive. Mm-hmm. But as you know, it's, it happens completely opposite in our culture. That person who's successful gets badly talked about. You know, they get people want to bring them down, they spread rumors. And if that person is smart enough, they'll just keep on going because that's humanity. That's how humanity is going to be. There's no way we're going to stop this mess from happening. But who do I, again, who do I choose to be in the face of that? Mm. That's creativity. It's tapping, being able to be quiet enough inside of myself to tap into the space where creativity springs out of nowhere and be able to literally ask it, what would you want me to do right now? To me, that's what true creativity is.
0: That's really beautiful. Uh, so we got a couple minutes left. Is there one book, article, idea, concept, thought that you've had in the last month that has been really helpful for your ability to either manage stress or to be more creative that you can share with our listeners?
1: I'm listening to a book on Audible right now. Mm. And it is by an FBI Interrogator, nego- no negotiator. He's able to negotiate these really big, like terrorist holds ups and stuff, and he's able to get exactly what the FBI needs without giving them anything that they need. You know, and what happens with um, the person that he's negotiating with, they end up calling him later on and going, "I really like you. I would, <laughs> I would do this again with you. Can you believe that?" So I was like, you know, this this is a person I want to learn from <laughs> yeah, because. Like, so for me, one of the hardest things for me is how I have so much to give. I have so much to give, as you could probably tell, right? And because I have so much to give, it could be a little overwhelming for the person that I'm giving it to. So I want to learn how to give in a way that's not overwhelming and that is able to connect well and where I'm able to give the most without creating more stress. Right, Mm -hmm. and so it's called never split the difference. Negotiating as if as if your life depended on it, and it looks like it looks like this. Mm. Never split the difference, and it's by Chris Voss. Mm. Chris V O S S, and um, yeah, he's like you know if 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 you can get the person to say that's it, yep, that's it. Mm. And I did this with a client the other day, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I feel heard, and I was like, that's. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. That's all it is is, you know, creativity in that sense. If we talked about creativity, isn't getting the person to say yes, but it's getting the person to feel so understood and so met that they have nothing else to say to you but yes. Mm-hmm. And that is empathy and vulnerability being taught by an FBI negotiator. Mm-hmm. So that tells you anything about creating a true conscious relationship Mm -hmm. when he's like, yeah, do what you need is empathy and vulnerability. What (laughs) you mean? Not brutal force and aggression and threatening and criticizing and blaming. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you about relationships? You know,
0: And so uh, I love what you're doing. It sounds like you got a lot, a lot of valuable wisdom to share. How can people, how can our listeners find you and what you're doing?
1: It's so easy to get in touch with me and it's so easy to book a session with me. They go to Gigi G G I G I A Z M Y.com. And right on the, right on the beginning of the page, there's a button to book a session. So you could book a session with me immediately and if you want to learn about becoming the one, the eight week live course, the next one is happening February 17th, but they're going to be ongoing. So if anyone wants to be a part of the next cohort, go ahead. I've only got two seats left right now, but for it, there's always going to be other ones coming up. Love, love to have people on there.
0: Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Stuart. I appreciate it. Thanks for allowing me to give. Yeah. <laughs>